How's it going, Odd People? You are listening to the Odd People Podcast, and I am your host, Matt the Cat. Today is episode number 70, and in this episode, I'm talking to Carrie Cudmore. She is a life and business coach and the creator of the Spiritual Finance Initiative. You can visit spiritualfinance.com to find out what they're all about. That's also where you can find her book, A New Relationship with Money. Pick up a copy for yourself. It's a good intro to the spiritual finance perspective. It is great. I've been reading through it before our interview, after our interview. It's great. Uh, You have to excuse my voice in this one. Uh, I was just getting over a cold, so I'm a little raspy and I'm sniffling and tried to edit out every sniffle and cough (laughs) that existed. You know, but you can tell. I'm not feeling right. Make sure to go check out the new Instagram, which is Odd People Pod. The Twitter and Facebook accounts and Facebook group all remain the same. You can go check those out as always. Go to oddpeoplepodcast.com for info about the show and to purchase merchandise and all that other good stuff. There's new prints, new things on the website. Go check it out. Enjoy the show. Hi, Carrie. How are you? I'm well. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. You're in my hometown of yes, uh, Westport. Westport, Massachusetts. <laughs> um, can you tell the listeners what it is uh, that you do? Sure. So I have a couple of different areas of focus. I am a professional business coach. I am an empowerment instructor and facilitator. And I also run a nonprofit called the Spiritual Finance Initiative. And we provide full scholarship um, financial literacy education to help people change their relationship with money. Cool. So who are the primary, you know, customers or um, students? So with the spiritual finance work, it's really anybody who could use a better relationship with money. And that really runs a gamut. We work with people of all ages and all different types of financial situations, because one of the things I've learned is that the relationship with money isn't about the amount of money you have. It's the relationship you have with that money. And so I've seen people with healthy relationships with money who, who live very simply. And I've Mm -hmm. seen people with horrendous relationships with money (laughs) who have a lot of it. So it's not about the amount. It really is about the relationship you have. So we teach people how to change that. So anybody who would like a better relationship with money. Yeah, I know I would. (laughs) So I think there's a lot of people out there that have kind of a hard time with money, especially artists. So that's Mm -hmm. why I'm glad to have you on the show because I primarily talk to people that you know the odd people of the show are artists and musicians and people that don't uh you know like to sit around and not be creative yeah and what what is a good first step for someone that say is an artist or a creative person that you know they're they're trying to be self-employed with with their creative abilities Well, I think the first thing is to get clear on what your current relationship with money is. And we don't come about this relationship with money randomly. It it shows up. We learn about money in very specific ways, but they can be really hard to track. So the first step is to just take a look at where are you in your relationship with money and what do you believe about money? And so one of the surveys that we do with people is just to think about money and come up with words, phrases, and feelings that describe money. When you think about money, what are the words, phrases, and feelings? And I've got some listed just to the left of me here. It's not unusual for us to hear things like stress and anxiety, guilt, um, shame. And and that's the stuff that gets in the way of anybody who's trying to create a business. You know, if that, if those are the things that you believe about money, you're going to have issues with money. And so 
you know, get clear about where you are first. And then we help people shift so that what they believe about money is aligned with their values. Imagine like, say, as an artist, think of the things that you value as an artist. What are the words, phrases, and feelings you had used to describe the things you value? Like what comes to mind for you personally? Uh, Unique. I, I, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, uh, yeah, I, I would say unique is the first thing that comes to my mind when I think of any kind of art that I would want to make, I would want to make it for me. Yeah. First and foremost, and I'd want it to be unique. I don't like run of the mill stuff. So. (laughs) Well, and that, that's a great point because actually there is no one perfect relationship with money. There's only your unique relationship with money. It has to be custom tailored to you and what you value, or it's not going to work. And if the way you think about money or describe money or the, the things that you believe about money are not in alignment with your values, you're going to have issues with money. So for me, when I started to think about how did I learn about money, the beliefs that I uncovered was that I had learned that money equaled uh, greed. I had learned that money equaled anger. I'd learned that money equaled suffering and conflict and guilt and (laughs) let the self-flagellation begin. It's just Right. They were not, not things that aligned with my values. And so I sabotaged my relationship with money because these were the things that I learned. These were the things that I believed, but they weren't aligned with my values. So I think it's really important as we're building businesses to understand what our relationship with money is and to improve it so that it's more aligned with our values. And specifically to artists, I feel like there's, oh, between artists and healers, Mm. there's such a like starving artist, starving healer dynamic that goes on that people think that if this work I do brings me joy and gives me purpose and is my calling, I shouldn't be making money from it. Right, right, right. Well, I I had recently, you know, it's kind of an old saying but if money didn't exist you know what would you do what would you, yeah. what would you what would you spend your time doing how would you how would you live yeah and it's like wow that like sinks in i mean i know that's like the thing that people always say oh you know if you do something you love you never work a day in your life you know that kind of thing yeah it's nice to say but it can be it's hard nice to, say, to apply yeah but <laughs> it is as far as the money aspect goes you can say it all you want but then then it kind of just drags you down because you go, well, how will I pay my bills? You know, right. I, you know, I can't just, people just can't well, set off and do what they like to do because they're so worried about paying the bills and all that stuff. And I, I have to say, you know, you sent me um, the book, your book, and I, I meant to kind of go through it quickly uh-huh. and try to get like my own, points out of it and then i ended up just getting caught up reading it <laughs> so i did, wasn't able to oh, that's good. the whole thing yeah i was like oh wow that's interesting and i just kind of just got sunk right into it <laughs> wow so what did you take away from it in such a short period of time well it was just like you're saying um it was the beginning uh when you described um your parents being separated and the mm-hmm. the situation with the money and how it brought you, you know, stress. Yeah. <laughs> I just thought, wow, that's, you know, my parents are together. They're still together. They're not very far away from where you are right now. Yeah. And we don't, my parents didn't talk about money. Yeah. It was a deliberate, like, closed door conversation. Right. That we didn't hear. So as right. I got older... I saw my friends, this all came to mind reading and um, I saw my friends getting credit cards for the first times and just going crazy. Right. And the only thing my dad ever said to me was, if you don't have the money in your pocket, then you don't have the money. So my relationship is I can't spend money on anything. (laughs) Very cheap. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Unless I, I have to justify it. I have to justify. Yeah any spending at all Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know so that's 
So it it your <laughs> your story uh, in the book, and you know what what I thought of when I thought of you know my peers and my friends back when we were started to make money and we had jobs mm-hmm. and everything. That's what came to my mind was wow, I that's why I'm so cheap. <laughs> Right. Well, and like, what a great identified thing. You know exactly where that comes from. You know how you learned it. And so much of our learning about money is not deliberate. Our parents aren't necessarily trying to teach us anything. They're just modeling what they learned about money. And it may not be supportive information for, for us, never mind them. And so if we understand like, the relationship with money that I have isn't random. It came from somewhere. If I can figure out what I learned, when, from who, and then look at it critically and make decisions. Does this work for me or doesn't it work for me? And if it doesn't to just get rid of it, reframe it, create new beliefs for yourself. Um, But until you do that, it's unconscious. We've learned unconsciously and you can't change what you don't have awareness of. So the first step is really bringing it into awareness. And it's not just like bringing into awareness the things that don't work for you. It's also bringing into awareness things that do work for you. And the example I give of this is that I was really, really lucky growing up that my dad deliberately taught me that I must do work that I love. Like it was just like his, like a core belief for him. You must do work that you love. If you don't do that, it's wrong. Mm. And it's so, it's such an unusual belief. Not many people are brought up with this, but it's really worked for me. You know, that that has been what I've done my whole life. I've always done work that I loved and it can't, I know where it came from. And that's a belief that I keep because it aligns with my values yeah. and it really works for me yeah that's awesome that's a good <laughs> i wish i had that belief i oh here uh, you go it's yeah. for you you can take it <laughs> good <laughs> <laughs> i wasn't raised with that belief i guess i should put it that way i was raised yeah. with the uh you know go where the money is kind of thing mm-hmm. so in turn i work long hours and crazy hours and weird times and you yeah know, it's not random money. at all you learned that yeah yeah I never yeah. thought of it so how, yeah and so how do you see that like as it plays out for artists what what's the dynamic that you see with artists and what do you think the beliefs are that keep artists from really being able to thrive financially what are you witnessing see I'm I'm lucky in in the fact that most of the people I talk to on the podcast mm-hmm. have, um, if you know, if they have their own business or, or you know, are doing really well, they're doing what they love already. So yeah. I'm I'm lucky in that way that the people that I've talked to have kind of they've kind of figured it out in that sense yeah. that they're doing what they want to do, and it is something that I've noticed. Um a lot of people say that they cater to other people's idea of what they should be doing. And when they finally started making stuff that they enjoyed and they liked, that's when they kind of took off as far as their creativity and their business. Mm -hmm. But what I, you know, but what I see, you know, you know, as a whole, I see people kind of like selling out in a sense. Um, When, when, when it comes to financial stuff, they, I feel like there's a lot of artists that make art, they get, they get going and then they kind of cater to other people in order yeah. to make the money. Cause they're, once again, they're worried about the money. <laughs> right. And that's where their, it sounds like their fear kicks in and it right. acts as a self-sabotage. Um, and then they don't end up doing what is authentic and I feel right. like there can be all sorts of beliefs in there about m- my expression isn't going to make money or, you know, it's, right. I have to navigate by what other people want in order to sell. And that's, that's a whole other conversation. Let's 
let's take the beliefs about money and really blow them up big when we're talking about this is how I earn my living or this is how I want to earn my living. And that's when I, I do think of money as a really powerful spiritual teacher because it'll show you where your weaknesses are. It will show you where your limiting beliefs are. It's been a great teacher for me. Yeah. In that way. Yeah. Yeah. I, I wanted to talk about, cause I, I looked up your, um, your finance, your spiritual finance class mm -hmm. online and some of the class goals. Sure. So the, we it's... have a, what? We're already talking about it anyway, pretty much. We are, we are. Yeah. But to, to summarize, well, one of the things that we have that's really helpful for people is we have this thing called the spiritual finance class series, mm -hmm. because I understand that people have been learning about money their entire lives. The number of years you've been alive, that's how long you've been learning about money. And so what I found is that teaching people in a one and done class, eh, it doesn't work so well. Right. But with this series of five classes, we can teach people how to change their relationship with money in such a way that it sticks. And so it's a series of five classes. Thank you to the pandemic for kicking us onto Zoom so that now we're completely virtual. Yeah. Anybody can take these classes from anywhere. And we yeah. offer them at different times of days and different days of the week. And it's a series of five classes. Each one is two hours long. Uh, some of them are by video. Some of them are just audio. And we have a very specific curriculum that we walk people through that's experiential. We're not doing a ton of lecture. It's, there's a lot of experiential work in there that can help people really change their relationship with money. And because we're a nonprofit, if anybody wants to take these classes, it's, it's no cost to the participant. It's, um, we have people who donate to us, and that's how this whole thing is funded. Wow. And it's a great foundational series. That's like our, our signature curriculum that we offer. And it's really helpful for, for people. And we've got dates in the calendar moving forward. And we're going to, we're always adding more dates. And at this point, I'm not the only spiritual finance teacher. So yeah. we've got a group of, of seven of us, of us all together wow. now. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Are they all local or are they all over the place? Um, seven of them? So most of them are local because we started out teaching locally. And so um, people who had taken the class series and done the work and thrived in their own relationship with money and then wanted to learn how to teach it. So we have this core group yeah. of teachers and they are mostly local. We've had somebody who's moved away. Uh, and now that we're virtual, it doesn't matter. Yeah. You know, right. where they are. Yeah. But we get, we did get our, our start here locally. We had a, a number of venues that really took us under their wing and, and offered it in their venue at no cost to us so that we could bring the learning to their customer base. And we've been really uh, grateful for that grassroots support that we've gotten here locally. Yeah, that's awesome. That's a good area. <laughs> a lot it of is. people come out of that town. That's right. <laughs> Shine my own star. There you go. Um, <laughs> So we've been talking a lot about the, you know, financial stuff mm -hmm. and a little bit of the, as far as the spiritual aspect to it. Yeah. Yeah. Let me be clear about that word spiritual, because it's, it's one of the big stumbling blocks people can have to getting into this work with us because they have assumptions about what spiritual means. Right. They've got this preconceived idea of what spiritual is. So we're very specific about what it means to us and how we use it. So for us, the way we define spiritual is living your life according to your values. Okay. That's it. If there's a religious system that informs your values, great, no problem. If there's no spiritual system or religious system that informs your values, no problem. It really is your values and your values only. That's what we call spiritual. And so it's not like your parents' values. It's not your neighbor's values. It really is your your own values, however you define them. And that's why it's kind of a rich exploration because 
people don't always think about that. They don't always no. think about, wow, what do I truly value? We kind of pick those up haphazardly as we move through life as well. So that question of what do I value is such a great thing. And if there's a, if there is a spiritual exercise, I think that's the most important one. Yeah, I think that's why I stumbled upon just trying to get it out because I couldn't think of, uh, you know, the right way to say that, the right way to ask, yeah. <laughs> you know, because I can see how people would think that, uh, you know, they're going to think they're going to be stepping into some new age class that they're worried that they're right? going to have something pushed on them and, oh, the financial yeah, stuff is good until they started telling doctrine. me that. Yeah. Until they tried to get me to drink the Kool-Aid, I was good. <laughs> yeah. And that's where yeah. we really keep our own, um, I don't know, assumptions out of the mix. We want our students to define for themselves what they value and then custom tailor money to meet all of those things. Yeah. Yeah. And so often our beliefs about money are contrary to those values just because you know, our culture stigmatizes money and yeah. money isn't anything. Money isn't anything until we decide what it is. Mm -hmm. You know, money's right. uniquely human. It's not like my dog or my parrot who have their own essence of themselves. Money, <clears throat> we invented it. We decide what it does, what it doesn't do, what its value is. Yeah, true. We, we define that. Yeah, there isn't some separate if, currency that dog uses that dogs use. No, <laughs> I, I wish she I wish she would. Her food is really expensive, but <laughs> right. <laughs> so I'm just looking over the class goals. Mm -hmm. And I know we are going through it. And you had mentioned clearing the emotional clutter and limiting your financial beliefs and being comfortable with the money conversation. I've noticed there's a lot of people that are too comfortable talking about money. Really? I, well, I just, maybe it's because they're friends or whatever it is. They, they talk about how much money everything costs. I don't know if it's a bragging thing. Huh. And then you look at them and you go, well, but that's all debt. <laughs> they have so much right. debt involved, but they don't seem to, you know, worry about it. And they have the money conversation kind of like, as a matter of fact, type of uh, yeah. way of talking. And it's, it's, it's weird for me because I, like I said, I grew up with money. Didn't get talked about. We didn't talk about what things cost. My dad didn't tell us. Yeah. And he always said it was rude to ask somebody how much money they make that kind of thing. Yeah. So I, I have that preconceived notion in my head i don't go around asking people what they make right? it's taboo mm, it is yeah for for a lot of us i was raised that way too that that money was secret that you it was rude to talk about it and yeah. it was a taboo subject so of course like the stuff that i learned was completely random and just about what i witnessed and what i witnessed wasn't always the full picture which makes it a a funky type of learning. And then there are other people like to that example that you gave, I have encountered people who are, you know, they're comfortable talking about maybe purchases that are making or um, I don't know the prices of things, but how often do they go deep with it? How often do they go to the real nitty gritty and, you know, walk up to you and say, here, here's what's in my checkbook. Right. Never. Yeah. Never. Yeah. <laughs> They never say, oh, by the way, this, you know, right. they'll I, say, oh, this vehicle costs this much money, but they don't go, the payments are. Right. Or, you know, and this is the amount of debt I've accumulated. So also that's another thing that people learn is, you know, how they talk about money or what parts of money are okay to talk about. And this is where it gets tricky for people uh, to bring it back to, to artists. And for me, I work with a lot of entrepreneurs if you if you've grown up in a you know a situation where you can either like not talk about money it's supposed to be secret and it's rude to talk about it or you're only talking about surface level stuff 
Mm. How do you get comfortable talking about money to your customers? And how do you get comfortable with your pricing? It's, right. It can be a, a tricky monster that way. And it takes sort of a deep dive in what do I believe about money and how do I get it to a place <laughs> where I can talk about it and feel okay talking about it. This yeah. is actually, I'll go off on a, a little bit of a tangent, feel free to bring me back. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a huge fan of art. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know, you can see the people who are yeah. listening can't see, but on the wall behind me, there's just, it's loaded with art Yeah. and my whole house is loaded with art. And I just, I'm a, I'm an art junkie. I love <laughs> looking at art. I love going to museums. I love supporting artists. And one yeah. of the things that's, you know, since I've done this work with money, what's been so frustrating to me is how, I don't know, secretive the conversation about money is around art. And I've wanted for a long time to let's, let's bring it out into the open. Let's help people understand that if you're interested in purchasing art, it's okay to talk about it with the artist. Right. It's okay to negotiate. It's okay to like, let's have an open, honest conversation about it. But instead we've got the artist in one corner. Oh, I shouldn't talk about it. And then we've got yeah. the person who wants to buy art in the other corner going, oh, I shouldn't talk about it. And galleries kind of do this thing too. It's all kind of secret and behind the scenes. And that's never helpful. <laughs> no, no, it's not helpful at all. I, I, no. I would imagine artists have a hard time pricing their art because mm -hmm. you know so what to give an example uh example it's not really an example <laughs> uh <laughs> me and my father used to have a home remodeling business so mm -hmm. we worked together so well that we knew how long a job was going to take us somebody showed us their bathroom sure. we knew how long it was going to take us to do this we'd give them a price there was yeah. a few instances that we give them an hourly rate and that was, that was it. That was our rate. That was yeah. how much we charge by the hour. Yeah. It's going to, we have no idea how long it's going to take charging you by the hour. Yeah. So I would, I would have a very hard time as an artist creating something and putting a price on it. And I think there's a, that's a big issue with, I mean, I don't know if it's a big issue with art, but I know it would be a big issue if I were an artist that sold sure. things. Because how, how do you put a price on your ability and your time? And it's not so cut and dry. It's not like remodeling a bathroom. It's not like giving an hourly rate. Well, and also for like, so in that example, it's such a, it's something that people can wrap their heads around a remodeling project. Right. They can understand like, okay, this person comes into my home, does this amount of work these are the materials that makes sense to me. I can wrap my head yeah. around it. Whereas art or a lot of other service industries, there's so much that goes into it. That's behind the scenes yeah. and the amount of time that art can take. It's like, you have to kind of reach a balance where you can think of it from the perspective of your customer that it makes sense and feels good to them. But as the artist, you have to feel good about it for yourself as well. And so I think there's education there. Being able to educate your customer to a certain extent as to what goes into this so that yeah. you're clear yeah. about it and feel good about it from your side. And they have a bit of an understanding of what goes into this. It's, inc it's an incredible investment that artists make in their art. And their customer usually has no idea. Yeah, usually. I, I would imagine yeah. most people don't realize the amount of time and skill it takes and how many, you know, how many bad paintings, for instance, a painter right. will do before they get a real good one. Right. So Yeah, and, and pricing in the art world is all over the place. There is no is. standardized pricing at all. So you kind of have to like, it's, it's almost like when I work with any kind of entrepreneur, you have to make your, your piece, your own piece with your pricing. And 
number one, you need to feel honored that you feel good about the price that you're asking, you know, asking for, for that piece yeah. of work yeah. and that you don't dip a toe into the sea of resentment. Cause that's just poison. Yeah. <laughs> it's, Absolutely. And it'll, it'll taint your art. Yeah, it'll absolutely. taint how you interact with your customers. Yeah, but I do think there's <laughs> what? No, you'd be very, uh, you'd be very bitter. You'd be one of those old bitter artists that are, right? you know, just knowing that they sold off all their art for less than it was worth. And they're just mad about it all right. the time. Yeah, yeah. And I do think that to a certain extent for, a lot of people who are artists, will the money ever equal the time? Maybe not completely. Um, yeah, it would be nice if it all, it would be nice if it always did. Um, but if you can come to a place of peace with it, uh, I see this happening with people like they, they have this vast collection of art. And if you think about, okay, what would I be willing to let it go for in a way that I do feel honors the time I put into it and the customer feels like they're getting a value. It's kind of like a balancing act yeah. with that. And one of the things I've talked to artists about is this dilemma of like, I've got a studio full of work and I don't want it to end up in a dumpster. Right. You know, so sometimes it's like, let's get it out there into the world so that people can see it. And that helps me feel like it's being witnessed. There's a certain amount of advertising in that. I think when people can see your art out there in the world, but such a balancing act to make sure you feel like you're getting enough that you don't feel resentful toward your customer. As you were describing that, like, old, you know, the old artists, it's just bitter and angry. Yeah. I just imagine like somebody sitting on a stool with a, you know, a cigarette in their hand going, those <laughs> ungrateful people, they don't know my yeah. heart. <laughs> yeah, right, right. You don't right. want to end up there. <laughs> yeah. And it's a total, it's, a, you're saying it's a balancing act and it's a balancing act emotionally and mentally too. Yeah. When it comes to feeling that their artwork is worth so much more and then feeling like you're giving it away at any cost. Right. You know, yeah. and the, there's a yeah, lot of, there's a lot of so many layers to it, you know, to someone being there an are. artist. Yeah, and I think that's where artists would be well served to do their own work around their own relationship with money. Like first and foremost, get clear for yourself so that you know you're not self-sabotaging it, like that you're clean and clear from your own side. That's step number one. Get a good, healthy relationship with money for yourself first and foremost, and then that will help you get comfortable having the conversation about money with customers, with galleries, whoever you're selling to. And then I feel like there is a place for artists in the world to educate their customers so that right. people who are investing in your art understand what goes into it. Because I think most customers really don't have a clue and they can't value what they don't understand. Right, right. Yeah, I, th I think like the modern, you know, uh, social media and stuff like Instagram is really helping because mm -hmm. we're seeing a yeah. lot of work in progress posts yes. and people showing how long they've been working on things and uh, right. silly songs about it and <laughs> all that kind of thing. <laughs> and so you're also a, a ceramic artist. Yeah, I'm a ceramics artist. And Oh, unbelievable amount of work goes into that oh boy yeah <laughs> I'm like clutching my forehead at this moment yeah uh, I have a sculpture uh, that I've recently completed and it's a sculpture that is a um, hundred hands in the wow. sculpture so it's a you know these little um, cutouts of hands and each hand took so much time the hands aren't that big they're they're like two and a half inches tall like an inch yeah. and a half across and every single hand took me hours to make and and nobody would think so it looks like a simple thing to, to make but Are it's they, not it takes a lot of time there are a lot of steps to it and that's what the yeah. customers don't see so they can't grasp it they're not going to know people aren't going to know what 
you haven't informed them about. Right. So I do feel that there's a big need in the arts world to educate our customers and to get really comfortable with the conversation about money from our own side. We can't blame the customer for that. Right. Uh, and and I think also there's an opportunity for artists to speak candidly with their customers, um, get comfortable for yourself, and then speak candidly to somebody who's interested in your art and just get curious, like, you know, what would help you in this purchase? Would a payment plan help you? Um, right. What do you think this is worth? You know, to have an open, honest conversation about it, because I think most artists really want their work seen and witnessed and yeah. cherished by people who would really love to live with it. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of art out there that I want to, <laughs> that I would like in my uh -huh. home and just to see it all the time. And sometimes you see the have, price tag and you go, Ooh, I can't have do you it. ever, have you ever talked to that artist about that price tag and how you could you know, nope, never maybe did. make an arrangement. Here's I, your call to action. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's you know, what it comes down to. Yeah. Yeah. And I speak as a consumer of art around this one, because I've got some really, you know, for me, valuable pieces of art that I paid for over years. And it was a, it was a payment that I could afford um, it was an arrangement with an artist, like a really heart to heart conversation with that artist. And they were grateful that I loved the art and they were willing to work with me. And it yeah. feels so much richer because of that. I was really invested in the process of being able to live with this art. And I think there's a real missed opportunity there. I wish more people were doing it talk to the artist. If you see art that you love, talk to the artist about what it'll take for you to be able to live with it. Have the conversation. Great. Nick, Carrie said it, everybody. <laughs> Listen to Carrie. She knows <laughs> what she's talking about. Please have the conversation. She wants art in your house. <laughs> she I wants do. You to There's buy art. so much art. There's so much wonderful art that people could be living with that's one of a kind art. It doesn't exist anyplace else or maybe a limited edition print so much out yeah. there that people are putting their hearts and their souls into it and the conversation with money is the thing that needs to bridge this gap between right. artists and consumers yeah and it's uh that's my soapbox <laughs> <laughs> that's good and you know it would really open up the floodgates for artists to be able to make a better living too exactly you know because they're it able to bring in the money to buy the equipment to buy the you know the materials and just keep making uh -huh. art i can't imagine how many artists are out there that stopped doing what they love just because they couldn't afford it well isn't that you know? the classic story of artists is that yeah. they you know they feel like this is my calling this is what i'm meant to express in the world and money gets in the way and they have to quit and they have to go to some job that sucks the life out of them or that yeah. they don't love as much. Yep. The soul sucking yeah. job. <laughs> <laughs> so I see that dynamic. The other dynamic that I see often with artists is they kind of keep it as a side hustle. Yeah. And that side hustle kind of acts like a hobby so right. that they end up paying for it instead of the art paying them. And this is where I want artists who are maybe in that situation to ask their art to step up and act like a business. Yeah. And that's where if you can get organized with your finances, clear up your own relationship with money, and then ask the art to act like a business, it can turn that side hustle into a moneymaker of a side hustle instead of a hobby. And it can eventually, if you want it to, it can potentially transform into a way that supports you full-time. Yeah, absolutely. But you have, to, you have to be willing to get out of your comfort zone around the money piece of it. Yeah, that's the audience. That's, who, <laughs> that's, that's probably <laughs> a good portion of my audience is the, the hobby, you know, musicians, artists, and mm -hmm. people that are 
you know, they have their side hustle, they have their side business and they, mm-hmm. they, for whatever reason it is probably financial, they're, they're afraid to bring it to the next level or right. figure out a way to make it work. Yeah. They don't want it to turn into a job because the job is the soul sucker and you don't want what you love to turn into a, <gasps> such a stressful thing, you know? Well, that's a great, that's a great point too, because I see people running into the, also the barrier of the beliefs, not just the beliefs they have about money, but the beliefs that they have about business and the beliefs that they have about how you're supposed to make money. I was lucky enough to have learned that money equals doing work that I love, but for most people, they learn something like money equals doing the thing that's going to bring enough money home to survive. And then the rest of the time I can do what I love. Right. Yeah. That's, that's probably what a lot of people have in their head. That's what's in my (laughs) head is you physically work (laughs) and Mm -hmm. make money. And then you do that on your own time. You, you know, you make music, make art, you you do that stuff on your own, on your own dime, on your own time. That's not going to make any money. You're going to have to hurt yourself, <laughs> physically work. Well, you know, and that's where I challenge artists to, you know, if you, if, if there's some part of you that wishes that you could earn a living, a full-time living from doing what you love, truly mm-hmm. start by making your side hustle profitable. And so one of the things I was taught by, um, like, <laughs> I think of him as Saint Bob, the accountant, because he just <laughs> changed my life in terms of uh, how I think about organizing business finances. One of the best things he ever taught me was separate your business finances from your personal finances completely. Mm-hmm. So that if you have a side hustle business, get it its own checking account. Make sure everything goes in and out of that checking account and that checking account only. And that means if you're putting money, what? I said, whoops. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's just a big one and most people don't do it. Uh, So once you've set up that account, if you're loaning the business money, you loan it from your personal account into the business account. And you keep track of how much you're loaning it. So eventually you can pay yourself back, but you get to see how much money that business is earning or costing you. You can't avoid it because it's all in one place and then start to number one, change again, change your relationship with money and get comfortable having the money conversation and start talking to your customers about it. And that's how people can start to move this into a profit-making thing. And what I see often work is that people, when they start to commit to that, I'm going to make this side hustle act like a business, not a hobby anymore. Let's make it act like a business and then grow it slowly hopefully it comes to a tipping point where you don't have any time to work that soul-sucking job anymore yeah (laughs) because you're so busy producing your art and getting paid for it and it's a process i understand it's not necessarily an easy thing to shift but it's definitely possible i've seen it too many times and from people who didn't even believe it was possible and accomplishing it so i know it's possible oh that's awesome Is there anything that we haven't touched on that you want to talk about? I think just to drive home the point that, you know, it's possible to change your relationship with money. We've got a program that can help. Um, We take people through the process of it. It doesn't cost anyone any money to do it. And our mission with the Spiritual Finance Initiative is changing our individual and collective relationship with money. Because what I see Mm -hmm. is that as people change their individual relationship with money, it ripples out inevitably. It ripples out to your family. It ripples out to your community. It can ripple out to your customers if you're an artist. Mm -hmm. And it does. It affects the, the bigger whole. I see it constantly as the individual changes, the collective changes. So, yeah. 
change your relationship with money, make it one that aligns with your values and it'll feel a lot easier and more helpful to what you're trying to do in the world. Cool. So is it, is it, um, easy to sign up for the classes? You just Mm -hmm. go to the website and sign up. Yeah. If you go, yeah. If you go to our website, it's spiritualfinance.com. Um, you'll see, uh, a tab that's for services, and then that'll bring you to the services that we offer. One of those is the class series. And on the class series page, there are links for signing up for each, whichever class series works with your schedule. And then we just get in touch ahead of time and share the Zoom links and we're off and running. And just by the way, these are all confidential. We never record them. It really is working in a a confidential group so that people feel really comfortable or as comfortable as they can be in this, the awkwardness of of learning how to change the relationship with money. We want it to be as effective as possible. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm probably going to sign up. (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) Yeah. Right now we've got two class series that are going to start in May. I'm going to be adding more as well. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, so okay. check out the dates and times and sign up. Cool. I'm going to do that. <laughs> Great. Love um, to have you there. So now is the part of the show where I'd like to ask you some odd questions. <laughs> awesome. I'm, I'm like gripping my desk. Yes. Okay. I'm, I'm ready. Okay. I'm ready. <laughs> All right. So some of these you've probably heard. Some of them I hope you haven't. <laughs> um. Where would you like to vacation on the beach or in the mountains? Beach. Beach. Cool. <laughs> yes. Beach. <laughs> so what is your guilty pleasure? Something you're kind of embarrassed to tell people. <laughs> Ooh. I, uh, how deep do I want to go here? <laughs> you don't have to uh... go that deep. <laughs> well, I do have a little bit of a fondness for certain reality programs. <laughs> and for me, it's a big defrag. I, I feel like if other people are having drama that I can witness in their lives, I don't have to have it for myself. So it's just <laughs> sort of this guilty pre- pleasure that I have. And it doesn't take up a lot of my time, but it's a good defrag. Cool. <laughs> a lot of people say that, that they secretly like those you know trash tv reality tv shows yeah i've got a soft is it, spot is it is it the game shows or is it just the ridiculous shows with people fighting? well no 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 i well sometimes it is but um <laughs> the ones that i really like that are maybe closer to my values i love um cooking um okay competition like shows competition like shows all right yeah yeah like the oh but like the British bakers and there are there's another series that's Canadian bakers okay like modeled after the British bakers all right <laughs> they're just they're so fun so much fun to watch I also love Top Chef so that's a Bravo oh. thing so those are yeah so those are good deep rags you like to see people stressed out I like to see, I love to see I love to see people doing what they love right right yeah and I love, I love that behind the scenes, witnessing people doing what they love. So for instance, for a while, I was um, interning in a recording studio. I was a okay. musician at the time and I loved seeing people in their process. And I think that's why I love those shows because I love people in their passion. Yeah. Was it a local recording studio? Um, it was, so they're still around. It's triad recording complex. Um, Tony Ritchie is the owner. They were, uh, mm, they've been in a couple of different places. I think they've got one in New Bedford now and, oh, don't quote me. I don't know where they are, but they've been around (laughs) a long time. And, uh, but that behind the scenes stuff, I just love that. Yeah. I interned for high school at a recording studio. Mm -hmm. So this was like 20 years ago. Um, Mm -hmm. I was under the impression I was going to be in there because I'm a guitar player. I thought I was going to be in there with like bands and it was going to be like this incredible experience. And I'm going to get to like, maybe somebody will ask me if I could join them. You know, I had this (laughs) mindset 
and yeah. and ended up they were doing all they did was commercials voiceovers for radio oh. commercials and it was just like this is going to be the most oh. i now i wish i would have stuck it out i went from there and i ended up interning mm-hmm. i didn't like it and i kept getting parking tickets because it was in fall river <laughs> <laughs> so i went from there to uh symphony music shop in dartmouth oh yeah, yeah. which was actually a, it, it was a good move it was really cool um everybody that worked there at the time the owner that's still the owner is they're incredible they still remember me i don't even know how yeah they're uh, music geeks in the best oh, possible so way awesome. i love yeah them. that place is great yeah. and uh <laughs> but yeah i i hindsight is always 2020 i wish i could have stayed there because i would have learned a lot more about the audio right. part for now. like voiceover <laughs> stuff it's like exactly yeah. what i'm doing and i didn't learn any of it so anyhow <laughs> We went off track. It's okay. So, you, you know, what would be your favorite takeout? Would it be Chinese or pizza? It depends on the the options of the takeout. So the quality of the takeout. So if it's okay. really good quality pizza, it would be pizza. Really good quality Chinese, especially okay. if it's Thai, it would be Okay. Thai. All right. Yeah. <laughs> That last episode yeah. that I actually, well, a couple episodes ago, <laughs> I'll put it that mm-hmm. way, because one of the last ones I talked to somebody, she was gluten-free and dairy-free. So I had oh. to change the options up to uh, tacos or Thai food. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I like Thai food too, though. Yeah. And I, you know, I'm also gluten-free and mm-hmm. I can't eat Chinese food anymore. Everything's good soy has wheat in it and everything has oh, yeah. gluten so i've com- completely converted to thai food mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i think i would pick it over chinese food even if i could eat chinese food <laughs> yeah you develop a taste for it yeah it's so much better uh mm-hmm. so w- what is your favorite food to cook at home i have so many and it depends on the mood but now that you mentioned gluten-free i have this magical vegan mac and no cheese recipe so it's gluten-free there's no dairy and it's like witchcraft that this thing is <laughs> craveable really beyond measure it's it's a miracle every time i make it cool that sounds good <laughs> if aliens landed on earth and they met you first and you had to sh- and you had to show them around. Where would you bring them? They landed in your yard, and they're like, "You bring us around." Well, I would figure if they they chose me, they'd want to know the things that I love. So I'd bring them places that I love, and I'd introduce them to people that I love. I think that's that would be the simplest thing. Start there. Start with what I know and what I love cool nice that's really that's a really nice answer all right what would you do if you were invisible for a week oh so that thing that i mentioned of being having the backstage pass and really loving to watch people do their work yeah to be able to do that and watch people in the thing that they love like to be able to go into an artist studio and watch have yeah. their process or go into a recording studio and watch the process, watch a business owner, like how they do this stuff. That's what I'd do. I'd watch people doing what they love without being seen because then it would be completely unfiltered and uncensored. Right, right, right. That's a good answer. Uh, where, anywhere you could live in the world, where would you like to live? Uh, but you can't pick where you live now. <laughs> mm. I've always wanted to try out France. Cool. Yeah, that's what com- that's what comes to mind, the French countryside. Nice. And I've never been to France. So this is just, it's mostly based on the books written by Peter Mayle. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a lovely idea of the French countryside and I'd like to try it out. Cool. All right. What is the most adventurous thing you've ever done? I think it's the most adventurous thing I've ever done is walking across fire 
And now I do it a lot. I've done it a lot, but that making that decision to do that, it set in motion a whole bunch of other things that I never would have tried or are super adventurous. So it was that moment of choosing to do that. Oh yeah. We did. We haven't even mentioned that. (laughs) That's a whole other conversation. Yeah. That's something that you do (laughs) more than once. I've never done that. I don't know. I can imagine that is pretty adventurous. I would, I don't know. I don't know if I could do it. Yeah. You don't know until you do it. Okay. So here is, uh, it's the question that everybody thinks about. Oh boy. (laughs) If you could visit any time in history, but only to be a fly on the wall, you can't affect change. You can't change anything. Mm -hmm. Uh, Where and when would you like to go? Hmm. I think like there's a part of me that wants to say like the 60s. That part of history where I was I was already alive, but I wasn't aware <laughs> of all the stuff that was happening in our I feel like artistically it was a really rich time. Uh, musically a really rich time and Mm. there was so much going on politically I think it would be interesting to witness that as a fly on the wall yeah yeah that's what comes to mind yeah that's a good answer I think about that too because I you know my parents are in the early 70s so they were teenagers in the late 60s you know what was it like and they're like well I didn't vote any protests i didn't do anything and you know (laughs) they just lived their life you know and they but they were sort of in the way that we're witnessing all the crazy stuff that goes on now yeah most people aren't involved with the protest and and actually being involved with it so yeah it would be cool to actually be right there and see it right you know (laughs) it'd be like wow this is wild I like yeah, the story of so much. I met someone um, a while back, a long time ago, actually. She was a customer of me and my dad's. She had went to Woodstock and wow. she was like a young teenage girl and like told her parents she was going away for uh, like a church thing over the weekend <laughs> and her and her friends went to Woodstock. Yeah, it's the craziest story. And she was blown away because she got to see Jimi uh, Hendrix. Right. And yeah like that was such an amazing like story of her telling the whole ordeal and you know tricking her parents and coming in you know the next day like totally very clearly wasn't at a church event or whatever she told them she was <laughs> at. A, it was like, a different kind of religious experience yeah it was i'm sure it really was yeah so i i, I would like to see woodstock for sure mm. like that that kind of giant event any kind yeah. of giant event really <laughs> yeah yeah and there are so many other times i could pick but that's that's like i'd be curious about that yeah 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 what did you want to be when you grew up when you were a kid mm-hmm. what, what was the thing you wanted to be uh the thing i wanted to be was a jockey my very first my very very first career was working with horses oh, okay and i worked i worked with thoroughbred racehorses and that was the thing I was aiming for, but I mean, I was thin as a rail at that point in my life, but I was still too heavy at five foot three. I couldn't make the weight and I'm kind of glad I didn't end up going in that direction because it is brutal. It's a brutal sport. Um, yeah. For when I'm talking about the jockey in particular, like it's yeah. tough. So <laughs> glad I didn't end up going in that direction ultimately. Wow. I never, I've never met anybody that said they wanted to be a jockey. That's not a career choice. I, I always thought that was just like, a, I don't know, like a European thing. I didn't even realize, I don't realize people that people make their living doing yeah, people it. make yeah. their living being <laughs> tiny. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a thing. <laughs> okay. So you're having a dinner party mm-hmm. and you can only invite three people, but so you get to pick three people alive or dead who's oh, going boy. to your dinner party. 
I feel like I need a week. This is not going to be my final answer. Like it would take me a very long time to come up with this. But if I were to pick a couple of people who are kind of in my thoughts lately, (laughs) Fran Lebowitz, who I would be terrified to meet, but she's just a cutting wit and an amazing literary mind. Mm. So Fran Lebowitz, (laughs) I'd like to pair her up with Mark Maron. Okay. I just, I love, I think it would be interesting to watch the sparks fly there. I don't know if they'd get along or not. They might or might not. And then just (laughs) for good measure, I'd throw in the Dalai Lama. Okay. That's awesome. (laughs) And this could be a new game that I just occupy myself with. Keep coming up with these, you know, three person mixtures. Three dynamic people. Right. (laughs) And see how they would react (laughs) and interact with each other. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's a good one. Those are good. Not my, not my final answer, but the one I can come up with for now. Yeah, right now. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Would you rather meet Bigfoot or an alien? Of course, I'm proposing that they both exist. Right. (laughs) Right. I don't know. I kind of want to pick Bigfoot. Yeah. Yeah. I'd like to know Bigfoot. Like, what's it like being the stuff of legends? Yeah. And I guess we'd have to imagine that he can communicate. Or I could just like, <laughs> you know, mind meld with Bigfoot and that would be fine. Right. There you go. <laughs> mind meld with him and <laughs> communicate telepathically. That sounds good. Yeah. Yeah. So in regards to what you do, all the things you do, you do so much, a very multi-talented person. What advice would you give your younger self? Change your relationship with money sooner. Mm. Figure it out sooner than you did. Because the stuff, if I knew the stuff (laughs) that I know now back in my 20s, it would... the potential of what I could have done would have been much higher. I feel like it could have been much higher. Maybe not. Maybe I just had to go through that, but that's what I'd tell my, my younger self, change your relationship with money now. (laughs) Yeah. So it can be an ally so that it can help you do the things and life could be easier. Cool. Mm -hmm. So what is your favorite part of, we're talking about the, financial stuff so what is your favorite part of that process uh when you go through that with somebody seeing them get to a point that they didn't think they could get to like knowing at the beginning their skepticism and the fact that they don't think they can do it like really truly believing this is impossible and seeing them do it anyway wow (laughs) Like that knowledge of like, oh, you don't know it can get better, but we'll get you there. (laughs) That it's seeing them accomplish that, that thing they thought was impossible. And that goes for just about everything I do in my work, whether it's working with business owners or like somebody's about to cross the hot coals or changing relationship with money. There's, there's a level of fear and disbelief when they walk up to it and that they can get there and it's going to be fun on the journey. I love that. (laughs) That's awesome. Mm -hmm. So how can people contact you? What's the best way to uh, get a hold of you and experience everything? All of the, (laughs) (laughs) all of the contact information is on the, the two websites, two main websites. One is spiritualfinance.com. That's the home of the spiritual finance initiative and all the financial work that we do. Uh, if people are interested in finding out about what I do, it's carrycudmore.com. And there are links to social media stuff and where all the contact information is there. I think the websites are a good starting point. Cool. Great. Yep. So 
I want to thank you for joining me today. I'm glad My we pleasure. got together. I'm glad our mutual friend Jen <laughs> sort yeah. of set thank this you, up Jen. in a way. Yeah, she you put the feelers out there to uh talk to someone on possibly a podcast and she tagged me in it and that was very yeah. helpful. <laughs> so yeah, thank you for joining me today. It was really yeah, nice this talking was, to you. This was great fun. So nice to get to know you and yeah, I, I look forward to being of service to, you know, your listeners. Yeah, hopefully yeah. they'll all <laughs> sign up <laughs> and experience it too. Yeah, thank you so much. All right, thank you. You're welcome. That was a good talk. Carrie was super nice. She was very understanding of me not feeling well. Uh <laughs> Uh, look up Carrie Cudmore Life and Business Coaching on Facebook or go to CarrieCudmore.com or SpiritualFinance.com if you're interested in her services. She does so much more. Um, we kind of touched on it a little bit. She's just one of those really amazing people that is multi-talented. It's my kind of people. It's the people that, it's the odd people. It's, she's an odd person in the best way possible. And I would just give her a big thank you for joining me for that for this episode it was really nice thank you for listening today really appreciate it stay creative stay inspired and as always stay up uh.